This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 152 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. This week, we'll reckon with the state of the 2022 Panthers after a heavy loss at Appalachian State leaves them 2-5. and five. We'll also look ahead to their game this Saturday and talk some hoops as the women's and men's teams will mark their debuts in the brand new Convocation Center this coming Sunday and Monday. But first, we got to talk about this App State game. It was a 42-17 to loss for the Panthers. Started off perfect for the Panthers last Wednesday night, who jumped out to a 14-0 lead in the first quarter. That lead was trimmed to 7 at the break, and then the game quickly got away from that as the Mountaineers rattled off 404 yards rushing when all was said and done. So, uh, gentlemen, lots to unpack in that game, especially the second half. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so this actually, this was our bye week, our bye week, because we recorded last Monday's last time when we talked. And so we ended up getting kind of a week off to kind of rest up, uh, review some film study, get ready for the stretch run. Um, and I think in normal times, you'd kind of look at that time off and be like, oh, you've got a lot of time to stew with this game, whether it's a win or a loss, probably going to have a lot to say. And I actually have just less things to say about the game as time's gone on, because it really is simple. Uh, App State adjusted to just running the ball every down and Georgia State couldn't stop them. And Georgia State couldn't get any kind of passing game going on. And App State was, that's what they were daring them to do. The, The start of the game went great for Georgia State because they were just winning in the run game and there were even some shots that they missed in the passing game that were there or led to penalties by App State. Otherwise, they would have been there. The passing game went away, was reduced to having Darren make plays himself, and he couldn't do that. And then just on defense, there's nothing X's and O's about it. It was just App was winning on the line of scrimmage, and their running backs were hitting the holes, following their blockers, and it got out of hand. Um, I'm not saying this is like an achievement or anything, but it is kind of impressive to have a game that feels like it got away that is also an ugly loss at the same time but Georgia State was able to do that in the game against App State this past week you hit the nail right on the head man like <laughs> we can wrap the podcast right there because honestly there isn't much left to say about this game it, it just you know I, the results kind of speak for themselves and I think it's it's rather unfortunate um, you know, I, I think I have made my thoughts on this, you know, series very apparent, so I, I will not rehash them, but this was a good opportunity for Georgia state to kind of continue some momentum that they had gained the last couple of weeks. And that just didn't happen. And they looked really good early on the way that they scored on those two opening drives. You know, they mixed some good Tucker Greg runs. Like you said, Darren Granger was effective in his sneaks. Um, the passing game wasn't really working, but you know, Georgia state likes to establish the run first anyways, and the pass plays off the run, but that passing game never materialized. Then, you know, app state really just kind of dared Georgia state to make plays both in the run game, both in the passing game. And after, you know, that those first two drives and outside of that field goal drive in the, to early in the fourth quarter, Georgia state couldn't do it, you know? And it was weird because after, especially at halftime, you know, 
you could definitely see that App State just wanted to not just win at the line of scrimmage. They wanted to dominate at the line of scrimmage. Georgia State the last few years has had a really good defensive line. I have never, 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 never seen them get pushed around like they did against App State. And, they, you know, the last few years they've played South Carolina, North Carolina. Um, they played, they went into Auburn last year. They moved Auburn's offensive line more than they moved App State's offensive line last Thursday. It was truthfully like I have to give App State credit because it was just something I have never seen happen to a Panthers team. Yeah, I mean, like the run defense the last two seasons specifically has been good, especially last year. It was a strength of the team. And there were still games where they gave up maybe in the triple digits, you know, approaching 200 yards. But a lot of those you could point to is there maybe was a run here where there was like someone missed a run fit and they popped a run. Like that happened in the UNC game earlier this year where one of the most of the bulk of their yards in that game, I think they finished in like the 170s, 160, something like that, was the touchdown run in the uh, that tied the game at 28. I mean, it was just there was a misrun fit guy just hit a hole and didn't get touched. This has been new, and it's unfortunately something I'm feeling like I'm having to project forward because I don't, you know, it takes a lot to change priors, I think. And I think I need to just accept that some of the priors, one of them was that George State is a good run defense and it hasn't been there against good running offenses. And, you know, that is part of it is that App wanted to do that. I said before the game, I felt like they would come in needing to do it because whether it was about beating Georgia State or going to a bowl game or winning the Sun Belt East, <clears throat> if App State was going to do any of those things, they knew they were going to have to get the run game going. And so I wasn't surprised it was an emphasis. And given that Georgia State never was able to punch back in that regard, I'm not surprised they never they went away from you know they never went away from it. And you know I think that the shame of it all is that Georgia State defensively did a good job just down to down defense in the first quarter, and especially when App State was still going to the passing game. Um, you know the passing numbers in general I don't think mean a ton because like I said App just stopped doing it. But when you just look at the first quarter, like they were winning the down distances and in third and longs or third and mediums, they were not letting chase Bryce beat them. And they took a couple of shots downfield on some third downs, maybe questionable play calling decision, but they weren't there. You know, the coverage was there on those plays and that gets left behind because the run defense just was so overmatched through the final part of the game. And, you know, it's disappointing just also just because, the game was pretty much over. I think once App took a two-score lead, uh, it felt that way. It didn't really feel like you know Georgia State got back and got that field goal, which I'm glad we don't have to talk too much about because it really didn't matter in the grand scheme of things. But uh, I think the people who are maybe questioning going through the field goal, they're totally fair. Just a case of not feeling like the offense was going to convert a fourth and six. But you know, you give up the long kick return to set up app right after that, which felt like you just, even if you thought at 11, it was still going to be a game. That was a real gut punch. They score a touchdown on that drive, convert another fourth down, which they did in the first half, which kind of felt like a moment that could have kept the game in Georgia state's corner. And then with kind of reserves and it ended up being a backup running back who scored the final touchdown, which is a drive where they were just moving the ball running clock. Um, I don't know that it was a full reserves for Georgia state either. Uh, I know they switched some guys in at that point, but just a situation where it's like, if you were looking for something going into this game, I mean, I still, you know, two and five, you're not dead, dead. You've still got an opportunity to at least get to a bowl game, but 
that wasn't necessarily an encouraging way for it to end with, you know, app states like fourth or fifth running back running through the red zone and getting in the end zone that final time. I mean, you know, I, like I barely have anything to say to respond to that because it just, there's not, there's only so much analysis you can really take away from a game like that. And it, it's disappointing um, to going back to the defense comment that you had. I, just, I think the prior that I need to adjust is I don't think this is a good defense. And that's kind of surprising because the last two years, it has been a good defense. You know, the talent has been there. A lot of people coming back too. like, that's the other thing. Yeah. This, and it was, we expected it to be a good defense because last year, especially down the stretch, it was a good defense and basically everyone was coming back. And I think that has been a problem because, you know, as I noted in the piece that we released for Panther Talk, Georgia State has not had a sack in a few weeks. And now I know Chase Bryce did not throw a a whole lot. He threw 17 passes. Like that's, you know, not a ton, obviously. But the defensive line, the front seven have just been a non-factor, you know, and it's weird because there's been some really good individual linebacker performances. You know, I think at this point, Jordan Venziel is going to probably make it to the second team all Sunbelt by the end of the year. I mean, he's a monster. Um, you know, yeah. John Trick more more on the first team when we talk about ODU, because they've got a guy who has one of the linebacker spots for the first team on lock. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think John Trey Hunter, you know, he's had some good spots and, you know, Jordan Jones has kind of surprised us the last couple of weeks, but there were just times, even when Georgia state was winning against ab state, where I just, I would see them just attack the right side of the defensive midline. And it just, there was just no resistance. Um, and that was before their offensive line just decided to dominate. So, um, I mean, we could talk about the offense if you want. Like, I'm sure there's stuff we could say about Darren, um, uh, Darren and the yeah. passing in general. This is what I would say is that the other thing is just like I said, it felt like a missed opportunity and it was an ugly loss at the same time because you were up 14 nothing. Jamari Thrash had to drop on a way downfield, perfectly thrown ball right in the breadbasket that I don't know that it would have been a touchdown, but at minimum, it's going to set you up in or around the red zone up two scores. Even if you don't finish the drive with a touchdown, um, which given the way the defense for App had played to that point, I wouldn't have bet against. If you get a field goal there, it's still a three-score game. Okay, you let that opportunity slip. You still force another punt, and you get the ball back. As a third down, App called an all-out blitz, cover zero, and it was a perfect play call for it. There was a swing pass right out to the flat to Jam Williams. He was open. If he catches it in stride, he's probably going to score a touchdown. Again, if not, it's going to be a huge gain into app territory. The throw from Darren's behind, he has to fight back to it. He catches the ball, but he loses his footing, trips a couple of yards down the field. Georgia State has to punt. And that was the moment where, you know, at 14 nothing, clearly Appalachian State did not spit out the bit. Maybe one of those scores happened and another was big plays deflates the crowd even more that's when that happens and the problem was that you know you couldn't make Appalachian State quit when you were up two scores and when they jumped back into the game you did and lost that opportunity and yeah I mean like you said like the 0-9 is an ugly mark I care a little bit less about it I think than a lot of people mostly because if you look at a lot of Sunbelt teams 
basically everyone has a bad record against App State and it's kind of just what they've done since joining the conference. But to me, you know, the part that is more important is that you're two and five. You can lose one more game the rest of the year to get to a bowl. And I know that that's still just the minimum. It's not like the standard where you get to, but you still want to get to a bowl game and it's still going to be, you know, it's going to be maybe more of a failure if you couldn't get to that point, let alone whatever you were hoping to do with the Sunbelt East. But you're in the situation where you've lost basically all margin of error in that regard. You still have one loss you can have, but you've got, you finished the season with road games at James Madison at Marshall. And so you kind of figure you've got to go into that stretch of games at 500 and hopefully splitting the final two, if you're trying to get to six and six and, you know, this was an opportunity to, you know, let alone exercise the demons with app state, just kind of get yourself in a better position heading down the stretch in 2022. It's a good micro view of it. It is, you know, I, I'm not, I don't want to dispute that and pretend like that's not a good viewpoint to have because it is. And you're right. You know, there are still ways to, you know, have a lesser season than I think people predicted for this team, but still get to a bowl and, you know, continue that streak of good success. Um, But I will say the trouble that I personally have with this game and just the lack of competitiveness that a lot of these games are is there's a very clear bar in the Sun Belt. It's App State. There have been a few teams that have been able to clear that bar over the last few years. Coastal did it. Louisiana did it. Um, you know, and you're absolutely correct. There are a lot of teams that don't get the one win over App State or whatever. Like App State has been absolutely dominant in the Sun Belt. Until Georgia State turns in a performance where they do win, their ceiling is going to be capped. And that's not a bad thing, necessarily. Like, there are just, you know, Vanderbilt's never going to have a good football team. It's just not going to happen, you know. All right, well, you can't say not necessarily a bad thing and then make Vandy your comp because that's inherently a bad thing. My point is Georgia State is not Vanderbilt, but with the way that the Sun Belt has gone – there is a line that they will need to reach and they have not reached it yet, but until they do reach it, I think that is going to be where the expectations each year are going to lie fair or not. And they didn't meet them this year. It happens that, you know, we'll do this song and dance in the summer next year. And, you know, we'll they'll line up again and face app state again, and they can have a very successful season next year. You know, they could, they could still win 10 games next year and still lose to app state, you know, and that obviously that would be a record setting season in its own right. You know, this team, the school has never had 10 wins in a season, but it just, I understand why people feel the way that they do about the Owen nine. And I think it matters less this year than people want to say, like you're correct in that instance. It does not necessarily, it matters more that they're two and five than it does that they just lost to app state. Absolutely correct. Yeah. Oh, and the other thing is like it, it is one of four losses to teams that are good, like teams that are all, probably going to go bowling. I mean, app still has a little bit of work to do in that regard. Cause they need to get to seven to get to a bowl. But at this point, the way they play, the way they're probably feeling now, I feel like I'd give them pretty, pretty decent odds to do so. Um, North Carolina, South Carolina are both currently in the top 25 coastal has six wins. They're definitely going to a bowl game. I think the problem 
as a macro level is that you went over in all of those games. And they were all tough opponents, you know, a couple of them, you played on the road, tough places to win all that. But like, if you were sitting here four and three, and you had won a couple of those and you just lost the app game, I think it would be different. I think it would have been a disappointment because it is still like a marker that you want to get past. It's, it's just an annoying thing that you can just feel lorded over you in this series that you just haven't won once. And, you know, next year is going to be the 10th meeting and you're going to want to win that game so that it's not 0 and 10. It's not a whole decade of losses. I think it's just the totality of all of these losses this year. You know, as much as you can say, okay, it was going to be a tough game. The reality is, is good teams find a way to at least win a few of those games. And Georgia State hasn't been good enough to do that this year. And that's where they sit. I think for me, the problem is also, I want to say this very delicately, the, ga- the gap between App State and Georgia State in an interconference level is not as big as these games would lead you to believe that it is. And that is what personally bothers me. Like if you if you go look at the Winsipedia history between App State and Georgia State, it's bad. And it is a confusing bad. Like Georgia State has given up 40 plus, I think, five of the nine times. Um, You know, there was another 37 performance in there when they were in Atlanta. And like, I don't know what it is about the yellow and black. It just turns good Georgia State teams like there are multiple bowling Georgia State teams in this nine list. Teams that threw all over everybody that ran all over everybody. And they just, for some reason, this team has turned into a boogeyman for this school. Because you're right. it's We could go across the entire country in terms of rivalries and in terms of matchups. It is very rare you see something where it's like, oh, a team is just going to win 10 straight times or whatever. You know, even when one team is at the height of their powers and another team is at the lowest of their powers, it's college football. We're talking about 18 to 22 year olds. Sometimes guys just get beat. It's it is weird that that just hasn't happened in the series. And, I, you know, I think the if it was a competitive game, if it was a rehash of the 2020 game, eh, you know, that game sucked, but it happens. That was a good Georgia State team. That was a good App State team. It was a close loss for Georgia State. Especially the way that they started on Thursday of last week. It looked like Georgia State's offense was really there to play. It looked like the defense was really there to play. And that just didn't happen. I think that is more disappointing than the fact that you're 0-9. You know, so. Yeah, no, I absolutely warrant that. And I'm, I'm not just missing the conversation out of hand. I just... Where I sit, it's it's more important as we sit here today that they're at the two and five place that they're at and much to improve to even get to the bare minimum result you were hoping for heading into this season. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to this weekend's game against Old Dominion Homecoming, 3 p.m. Eastern time in Center Park Stadium. Uh, the Monarchs were one of the Sunbelt teams who got the season started with a Power 5 bang, beating Virginia Tech in their opener. They sit at three and four and two and one in Sunbelt play. That conference loss came last week at home to that team down south, and one of the wins was an impressive 49-21 trouncing of Coastal Carolina. 
They are coached by Ricky Ronnie in his third season, who boasts a 9-11 record in that time. For the second straight game, Georgia State heads into this one, seeking a first all-time win against a school. They are 0-3 all-time against ODU, dating back to their time in the CAA. So, gentlemen, Old Dominion Monarchs, what are we thinking? Just want to point out, I put the notes together before I knew that we were going to end our app discussion on talking about the streak. So it was either really good or really bad timing on my respect and just irony there um, to single that out. I was like, oh, this is a thing to note. Um, I do not think that the ODU streak is nearly as looming large. The last time they played was in 2012. Um, probably that one's going to feel you know, even out at some point sooner than the App State one does. But uh, we can go on with the actual game itself. Well, I would sit here and tell you that I would expect ODU not to run the ball well because at one point this season they were historically bad at running the ball, but they've actually been a lot better of late. So um, I, I, that might be the side of the ball that I think we're a little more confident in being successful against Georgia State at this rate. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a crossroad games for both teams in a lot of ways based on how last Wednesday went. It's a crossroads game for Georgia State especially but you know you look at this you know Georgia State it's kind of obvious if they lose this game they'll be two and six they will have to run the table in November three games on the road in there to get to six and six get to a bowl game but for ODU if they lose this one they're three and five on the season and they still have trips to app they still have trip to uh South Alabama and they host JMU and Marshall neither of which are going to be gimme games and so if they lose this one, they can only lose one of those games where they could easily lose three of those, you know, just for the fact that they're playing some quality teams, two of them on the road. And so it nearly eliminates Georgia State from bowl contention with a loss here. And it kind of does the same for ODU, even if they do have another loss to play within their win-loss record. And so, you know, both teams coming off a loss, both teams knowing what they're up against as far as the rest of the season and that you know, that dichotomy I just laid out. And so it's going to be a response game. It's going to be about who is able to fight back. And to your point about the running attack, you know, Blake Watson's a really quality running back. I think that the holes were necessarily there earlier in the season, the, the run blocking, he wasn't able to go off near like he did um, against Coastal where he just went crazy and busted a couple of really long runs. Uh, and they just totally barnstormed coastal Carolina in Conway um, Georgia state, which talked about really struggled in that regard against Appalachian state. And so more than any other part of Georgia state or ODU, I think the biggest prove it game is for that defensive front. And, you know, coach Elliott talked about it earlier in the week. He wouldn't go into any kind of specifics. And I don't know how much of this is just coach speak or how much there's like truth behind it, but he was talking about that. The mentality hadn't been there in the run game on defense, and he was going to look for guys to play with that toughness and that you know reps were up for grabs and that there might be some new faces that shuffle in more or some faces who have been reserves who play some more snaps on the defensive front for Georgia State. And you know, I think it's just a matter of no matter how you do it, that's got to be better because you know, we've seen what Georgia State does in the run game and tries to set up as it's just what its baseline, what's, what it wants to do as an offense. And if every team is able to just do that against Georgia State's defense, that's just going to spell disaster the rest of the season. So that's just got to get corrected or nothing positive is going to happen for Georgia State. 
And, you know, you're right. You know, their quarterback, Hayden Wolf, he's only thrown two interceptions this year. I think the early defense that Georgia State had where they were, you know, being kind of aggressive and getting turnovers, that's kind of waned a little bit. Um, they they did – I okay, so they did not record the fumble last week, but on replay I did – really think that it was a fumble but i mean that doesn't matter you know the defense has to be better the defense has to secure turnovers they have to find a way to you know make opportunistic plays impact plays that'll help them and you know the the trick with odu is it's a good defense you know the you know they've only given up 30 points twice this year to eastern carolina to east carolina and to liberty both of those offenses are offenses that score 30 points a game this year. Georgia State's not been capable of doing that. So they're going to have to find a way to either tap into the offense that we know that they're capable of, or the defense is going to have to completely flip on its head and play better than they've played the last couple of weeks. Yeah. And um, kind of on that point, it feels so like minute and like specific when like just things have been going wrong, but something that ODU does really well defensively is they have the best red zone defense in the conference. Uh, they've given up scores on 17 of 25 trips and only 12 of those are touchdowns. And it's been something where Georgia state struggled. They're near the bottom of the red zone conversion on offense. They're 12th in the conference. They've scored 16 of 22 trips in the red zone and only 13 of those are touchdowns. And so you know, that is a place of concern or a place of emphasis to where if Georgia State's able to get inside the 20, they're going to have to find the end zone, make those count. And it's been something they've struggled with even in games that they've won. And so you know, I would hope that would be an emphasis going into this game. Um, talking about earlier, Jordan Venzial having second team Sunbelt as a possibility. The reason first place is out of the contention is that Old Dominion has two just absolute standout megastat leaders in the country. And one of them is Jason Henderson, who is a linebacker for ODU. He has 112 tackles already. And if you're doing math at home, that is 16 a game. And so he's a guy you're looking at that, you know, it's not even like, can you block him or can you like prepare for him? And just kind of like expect that that's going to be a guy around basically every one of the runs that Tucker has up the middle Oh, and Darren scrambles like just a guy. That, I mean, we've had a few of them at Georgia State over the years, like Joe Peterson was showing up all over the place from his linebacker position. But even he never got to this level. Massively impressive. And then on the other side of the ball, Ali Jennings is the nation's leading receiver. He has 912 receiving yards. Um, I don't have the updated numbers, but he has some ridiculous share of ODU's total offense just by himself. It's like over 20 percent. Over No, it's over like 40%, I think, when I last saw the stat a couple of weeks ago. He's a major, you're going to have to know where he is on every snap. They find different ways of getting him the ball. And saying all they did about the run game, ODU is still going to look to sling it. They're going to look to get it in Jennings' hands and make plays happen that way. And so with all of the, okay, the run defense has to get better, you can't overly focus on that to the extent that you forget about what maybe is the strength of their offense to begin with, with the passing game with Ollie Jennings. I, you know, I hope that I don't get old takes exposed here. So I'm knocking on some wood, but I think Georgia state has shown this year that they can 
do good things in coverage. You know, I'm not saying that Jennings won't burn them because it seems like he's burning literally everybody right now. But I think that the way that this defense does show some improvements is if it's just Jennings that's burning them and they're able to contain one, everybody else, and two, the running game, that does put Georgia State in a good position to come away with a win. I think as long, you know, obviously there is a cap to that. Jennings seems like a guy who, you know, if he's getting two, three, 250 yards in the air, he's probably scoring a lot. So, you know, they are going to need to be careful with the level that he is beating them if he does. But there is a path for Georgia State to right the ship this week. I think it starts up front. I mean, it's kind of the prove-it game in all factors because the other part of that is that, like you said earlier when talking about the app game, the defense is last in the conference with just seven sacks. They haven't had one since what, the Coastal game. The defensive front is going to have to have an impact and make Wolf uncomfortable. He's only thrown two interceptions, but you're going to have to find a way to make him make some of those mistakes or just make bad throws. You're going to have to get some get that sack number up to him. I don't think that getting the breaking the sack record third year running is particularly realistic as an expectation at this point, but you got to get it to a more respectable number. It's And that's how you help out the coverage because the games where Georgia state's gotten burned in the past game. It's been because of that, because there just hasn't been any disruption of the quarterback and they've been able to sit back and go through their progressions and find open receivers because, you know, when coverage, you know, is having to last five, six seconds, that's just not going to, you're going to leave guys open. Guys are going to slip open. Receivers are too good. You can't hang with them that, that long. And so, again, I just think it all comes back to like what defense shows up, specifically what the defensive front shows up, because that's been the issue with the struggles this year defensively, especially as of late. And yeah, that's what's going to have to get corrected for this game and just going forward. Because like you said, the offense has been able to score points, but it's not necessarily the electric offense, um, especially with whatever was going on last week with Darren, that you kind of hope that you get something better there um, in this game. But it's not like, especially with some of the teams you're playing down the stretch, if you're getting into shootouts, I don't know that you trust Georgia state to win all of those games just in a shootout. Like you're going to need the defense to come up with some stops. You're going to want to keep it more low scoring. Well said, but I did have to correct you. Georgia State hasn't gotten a sack since the Charlotte game. Okay. Which is the week before, which is still bad. No, worse even. Yeah. And, you know, that is the other thing is that obviously there's been a an emphasis from that game on where you've seen teams not sit back as much and you've seen some emphasis on trying to get the ball out quick. But the other issue has been even when they've been doing longer dropbacks, the pressure hasn't got there. And sure, you played a triple option team in that stretch and you played an app team that ended up running it 64 times, but you can't go that long without any sack. Like you've got to get home on one play. And it's just, it's not going to set up the rest of your defense for success if you're not getting to the quarterback. That's just something that's going to have to get corrected. And, you know, I just, all of this, I think, just comes down to the team that shows up. It, for either team, but specifically for Georgia State, you know, it's just there has been a good team on the field this year. There has been a good defense on the field this year. I don't know what the issue has been as far as like in the middle of the App State game, just kind of went away after a pretty promising first quarter. But 
you've seen the glimpses of a good team. It's just not been consistent enough. And that's why you sit here at two and five and to get out of a two and five hole, just you're going to have to find ways of tapping into that consistency and get that going because, you know, ODU has only broken 30 points one time, but when they did it, it was 49 against Coastal on the road. So this is a team this Saturday that, you know, if you aren't at your best and if you're leaving opportunities begging, they've got the ability to put up some points on you. And, you know, the last thing you need on homecoming after a tough loss is another one right after it at home. So kind of where things stand just on a, you know, stylistic, on a mentality and just on a literal season level, this one matters a good bit and getting back to three and five, isn't going to feel like that special. It's just going to be you won this week instead of you lost this week, but they're going to have to find a way to do it because the alternative is a much bigger hole. And last but not least this week, we've got some basketball to talk about. Basketball is back. An exhibition season is here for the men's and women's teams as Gene Hill's squad will play their first game in the new convocation center against Emory on Sunday at 2 p.m., followed by Jonas Hayes' first game in charge in Atlanta as the men face Morehouse on Halloween Monday at 7 p.m. So, gentlemen, uh, quick thoughts about basketball. Yeah, the first thing is that I don't know that I'd put this together until like this week when I was just looking at the schedule. I love the Atlanta aspect of this exhibition. You know, you could have played anyone for these exhibitions for either the men's or the women's team, but I, I love that it's Emory in Atlanta and Morehouse in Atlanta coming in. It feels like it's adding to, you know, Atlanta's literally on the court and all that goes with that. Um, and it's just going to be exciting that this an off season with, especially the men's team with all that change with a new coach that there's a lot of open questions and Sure, these games might not tell you that much if all goes well, all goes as expected, but it's still going to be nice to have the first like, okay, this is actual discussable Georgia State basketball, especially under Jonas Hayes at the men's side in his first game. Doesn't count on the win-loss record, but still going to be actual basketball. We can see kind of how the rotation's working out what's going to be, you know, from certain guys that, you know, we aren't sure exactly what we're going to get from in the season. And I guess, David, I don't know that there's going to be a broadcast for you. I haven't seen that information, but if you were sitting there in a convocation center, what kind of are the most open questions for you that in these early season games, you're kind of interested to see? It's hard to peg because you're right. These games don't count, but I think offensive cohesion, um, not necessarily shots falling, um, but more so shot creation and just, you know, just how the legs look, how the forms look. You know, I think the difference between this time period for Georgia State and, you know, when Coach Lanier was here, there's a more established players that were already on the team. So there were still question marks, but there were not as many question marks as there were this year. You know, I think you could look at this entire roster and say, yeah, that's a guy who's going to get a ton of minutes. Yeah, that's a guy who's going to play. That's going to be a guy that Georgia State's going to need to lean on, you know, down the stretch. And I don't know that it's going to happen. You know, we could sit here and talk about Evan Johnson, you know, being a guy that's going to take a step forward and, you know, be a, 
an all Sunbelt type guard. We could talk about Joe Jones, the third, you know, is he going to be the big man that we've been thinking that he could be the last few years now that he's finally healthy? How's Jermaine Mann going to be, you know, is Colin Moore going to be shooting lights out from the three again? I, I don't know. You know, there's, there's a ton of question marks and the pity of these games not mattering is it's an exhibition. It's supposed to be fun. You know, you don't want to see a guy get hurt. So, you know, that guys aren't going 110%, but I think with a new coach with a lot, you know, a good bit of transfers, there is a level of mystery kind of to this Georgia state team that people fans have not seen. Honestly, they've not seen a level of mystery like this. I think in the last decade plus, um, I don't know that ever. I mean, you're yeah. facing all five starters, like, right? Like, it, that is a mystery for a lot of programs. That just doesn't happen very often. All five starters and the coach. Exactly. You know, and I don't know. Like, I, I just, I just want to see what level of offensive cohesion they have, because while the last two Georgia state teams improved as the year went on COVID and cancellations and you know, all that, that's not necessarily going to be the case this year i think there is going to be just a innate level of growth from game one to game 20 to game 30 or whatever that georgia state plays this year so you know you want to see kind of what sort of barometer that they'll have early in the season because it really can tell you like hey everybody is sleeping on this team they're gonna be fine they're gonna go deep in the Sunbelt tournament could go to the NCAA tournament. You know, obviously Panther fans would be happy, but if there are some growing pains, if there's some struggles and some chemistry issues that could say, Hey, rebuilding year, try to get to 500 try to get to above 500 and, you know, just see where things are and, you know, move forward from there. So I think offense for me to kind of put a pin on it is just definitely what I want to see or what you should look out for in these exhibitions. Yeah. I'll, I'll see. I don't know what the broadcast rights are. I'll just try. I'll get a periscope and just start streaming it from where I'm sitting um, and then get taken out of the, uh, the new center. First person kicked out of the new center. That's something to go for. <laughs> um, you, you said a lot of good there. And I just want to circle all the way back to near the beginning of what you were saying about a couple of guys you named. And they were maybe the first two I had on my mind to look out for when I do go and see them play on Monday because Evan Johnson was the Sunbelt media representative for the basketball program. And Jonas Hayes, you know, I, I asked him about like, who are the leaders that have stepped up? And I left it to plural just to, you know, maybe there was more than one guy. Maybe it was, you know, Evan was one of a couple and he made the answer about Evan. It was just about how he had taken that role for the team on and off the court. And that's, that was why he was there with him in new Orleans. And that was noteworthy to me because, you know, Dewan Odom came in from Xavier and, we kind of expected him to be kind of the feature point guard. And if Evan's also in that conversation, that adds a lot because we know what Evan already could do shooting the ball. He's a very gifted, natural shooter. Coach Thinier called him the best shooter on the team either last year or the season before. And we've seen a lot of that play out in his time in Atlanta, but he hasn't had the opportunity to kind of play a full guards game. It's been a lot of he's coming in and just taking jumpers. And so I'm definitely interested to see what that looks like with him on the court playing maybe more of a role, even though what we expected, knowing that he was going to have a big role this year. And then you mentioned Joe, and I think we just didn't really know because injuries, especially multi-year injuries, are so tough. But from everything I've heard to this point, it's been really promising, and it's he's been fully back. And so with 
no starters back from the front court or the back court, but especially the front court, because you at least brought in some transfers that you feel comfortable moving into those starting spots at guard. That was a question. And if he's able to come in and kind of pick up where he left off at the end of his freshman year, would be really huge for the team to say nothing of just a great story of perseverance. And I'm glad he's going to get the opportunity to go out there and play again, because I'm sure it has been a tough few years for him dealing with the injuries he has. And so I'm glad that as things appear right now, there's going to be a happier end to that tale. And piggybacking off of that in a different way, you know, if a guy like Jaheim Hudson and, you know, Evan Johnson, if those guys are stepping forward, it puts it takes a lot of pressure off of the transfers to be successful. You know, obviously two players does not make a basketball team, but I think there's there's nothing that I've seen from the previous tape of what little we have seen of the guys who came in that would suggest that they can't be either good complimentary pieces or they can't take a step forward here. Like this is going to be a good environment, new convocation center, you know, guys should be comfortable here. I mean, it's Georgia state. It's the Sun Belt. This you might not be able to project Georgia state as the, yeah, they can go be a second weekend tournament team right now, but there's still a good bit of room and a good bit of leeway for where the conference is and just where this program is. So, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, there's a lot of mystery, like I said, but it's a good type of mystery. It's a good, there's a, should be a good bit of excitement going into this season. Not to mention the new convocation center part of it. I mean, that just on its own merits. I mean, we spent a whole segment on that a couple of pods ago, just talking about the arena, but you know, it's finally going to be here, going to be playing games in there and that's going to start this Sunday. Yeah, there's lots to be excited about on both uh, both teams. Uh, by the way, season tickets are still available, and uh, single-game tickets went on sale today as of the recording of this podcast. I think the math works out for the men if you just get whatever the cheapest season ticket is. I think it works out to less than $8 a game. It's like, come on. That, that's unbelievable value. So uh, I would encourage you to get in on the ground floor for both of these teams as we're getting going for this 2022-2023 season. And uh, we will hopefully see you inside the friendly confines of the uh, GSU Convocation Center. I'm sure they're going to have some sort of naming rights partner at some point. But for now, that's what we're going to call it. And for now, that's all we have for this week on the Thursday Night Podcast. Of course, Brady and I will be reporting from Center Park Stadium on Saturday for the homecoming festivities versus Old Dominion. That game kicks off at 3 p.m. Eastern. Would love to see you there. But uh, yeah, that's all the time we have for this week. We will catch you back in the next episode of the Thursday Night Podcast. And until then, have a fantastic week. We'll see you later. Bye-bye.